three historic nonprofit organizations are moving forward under the same name with the introduction of Copper Shores Community Health Foundation. The name represents all services, programs, and opportunities offered by Portage Health Foundation, Dial Help, and Copper Country Senior Meals. While there's a new name, the mission remains the same, to positively influence a healthful community through enhanced philanthropy and collaboration. The combined effort will lead to better opportunities to identify and fill gaps in services and programming in Barraga, Houghton, Keweenaw, and Onsenoggin counties. Visit coppershores.org to learn more. Once again, welcome to Copper Country Today. I'm Todd Van Dyke. Thank you for tuning in. It's just a little bit over a week now, as we're talking on this Sunday morning, before school gets back underway here in the Copper Country. That's a scary thought. I have no idea where the summer went, and so I invited in uh, James Radiola, who is the uh, superintendent of the Copper Country Intermediate School District. Weren't we just talking the other day in our show about the end of the school year? Where did this go? It feels like we just had this conversation, and I appreciate you inviting me back in again, Todd. Well, I thought that it would be a good idea to get people kind of ready for the start of school, particularly families that have kids, grandparents that are looking over kids, things of that nature, see if there's anything new going on in the area this year, see if there what, what parents maybe ought to be doing at this point to make sure that the kids are ready to get back to school. And I'm assuming at this point now, with a little bit over a week to go, if I were uh, a parent of a school-aged kid, I'd be trying to get my kids back into that school rhythm. Do you try to do that a little bit early to get them used to it? Yeah, you know, routine is always good, especially if you can establish a, a decent bedtime routine because the kids are going to have to get up a little bit earlier. And, you know, that, that first week of school is always filled with excitement. I know we're excited to be back. Sports are starting and uh, seeing the teachers uh, in the building preparing their classrooms. And it, it's just an exciting time of year, but... The teachers, the school staff, the students—you know—getting getting that rhythm established again is, is is always a good thing as far as learning is concerned. Well, and the goal, of course, is to get learning started as quickly as possible. I have talked with teachers over the years. My mom—I've mentioned on the program—my mom was a teacher. Those first several days aren't exactly packed with learning; they're more packed with getting used to everything and getting in. But it obviously gives the kids a better start if they're showing up to class well rested and well fed. Absolutely, um, you, you know, and and. Obviously, at the younger grades, uh, kindergarten, first grade, those those students need to establish a little bit more of a routine. But you know, you start moving into the upper grades in high school; those kids understand what what's supposed to happen there. But there's still uh, conflicts that happen with classes and whatnot. So that first week, learning definitely occurs, uh, but a lot of it's routine based, getting classes in in, in a routine established, so um, you can hit the ground running every single day. What should parents be watching for as kids go back to school in terms of the kids' well-being? Um, let's, let's talk physically, uh, particularly the younger kids who um, maybe need vision tested, maybe need hearing tested and such. It's always been a challenge for parents when kids are young because kids maybe no, don't realize that they're having a vision problem or a hearing problem or something like that. What should parents be watching for? You know, we try to screen all the kids for vision and hearing uh, at, at the kindergarten level. Um, but, you know, if, you're, if your son or daughter is coming home with a, a headache or they're complaining that their head hurts or they can't see the board, um, definitely take them to their eye doctor or pediatrician to get things checked out. Um, it's always, you know, a lot of times kids coming off of summer break, 
you know, we're, we're used to a routine to do whatever it is that we want to do during the day. And, and now we're in a classroom for six plus hours every day. That in and, in and of itself is, can be difficult for some students. But if you're noticing something that's a little bit off with your child, um, definitely have a conversation with them. Have a conversation with your teacher just to see if they're noticing things too and, and get it checked out. For the very young ones, uh, vaccinations. Uh, because that's an important thing, and I read an article recently that we've seen a rather significant drop in the number of children who are heading into school who have received those vaccinations, and now there is increasing concern that we're going to see more cases of measles and mumps and things of that nature because there are kids who are not being vaccinated. You've seen an awful lot of kids go through school. Have you ever seen a problem with a child because they were vaccinated? We haven't seen a problem either way. You know, I would say work with your school and, and pediatrician and local health department um, to meet whatever vaccination is best for you and your family. Yeah, it's um, it, it's something that's becoming a little bit more of a concern, I guess, uh, and not maybe so much in our area, but downstate they've been having some issues because of this, and it's something that families do need to consider very carefully. So what about emotional issues? This is something that's been forefront over the last few years, and this, I suppose, is more for older kids than the, the little ones, but there are kids who maybe have, uh, maybe are bullied, maybe have been bullied in the past, maybe are developing some depression issues, some things of that nature, and going back to school can be a stressor for them. How do parents watch for that kind of thing? You know, a lot of it is just understanding your child. If, if you're seeing a change, um, have the conversation. Have the conversation with school staff to see if, if they're seeing the same thing. We have a lot more resources now in local schools than we had, say, maybe when you and I went through school. You know, but you're correct. Mental health is a... Uh, it's been a game changer in schools, and you know I, I wouldn't classify it just at the high school level. I think it's across the spectrum, um, but there are supports in place. Every school would have um, a support in place that can help your child. And I know at the Copper Country ISD, we have mental health professionals that that work with the local schools. So um, there are resources out there for parents, but but the best, really, the best prevention is is just understanding your child and if you're seeing a change have that conversation and and have it early um, because it's it, it's important to catch early and and have the kids understand that um, there are supports there's adult supports out there for for students and i suppose it's very important for parents grandparents and uh, responsible adults to be open to hearing what kids are saying to us instead of just shrugging our shoulders and say oh you know blow it off uh, or, or thinking that maybe it's just a transitory thing sometimes this is a very serious thing and it needs help absolutely you know and, and uh you know it mental the mental health concerns is just like any other uh, medical concern that we, we might have. Some people have heart conditions or uh, physical disabilities, sure. and mental health is a, is a real concern too. And, you know, one thing I would say uh, for parents um, and students, you know, with, with social media, social media has thrown a, a whole twist on, you know, how people communicate. So a lot of times students might not want to communicate verbally, you know, with, with a staff member, with a parent. And sometimes we take a social media approach. Some, some students will open up um, through a text message um, in that sort of way versus face-to-face. -face. But definitely don't put it on the back burner and blow it off. How do we address this FaceTime thing 
that has become so dominant um, amongst our young generation. Uh, Mom, dad, teachers at school. How do you get the kids away from the phones and into a real conversation? You know, there really, it has to be a balance um, because the the cell phones, um, the virtual learning and whatnot, it's not going away, you know. So uh, we as a society are going to have to figure out a way how to balance it. You know, there's always a there's always a need for face-to-face communication, you know, and I think it's the preferred method of communication. Um, but with with just the way society has changed and, and information is coming at us so rapidly, it's very common for us to, to use the social media platforms versus the face-to-face. But I always look at it as if you need if you have a concern or you need to have a conversation that that requires reading body language or it's, it's a sort of a serious conversation always try to do that face to face you know don't don't do that over a text message and and likewise um, don't send something over a text message or over social media that you wouldn't say to somebody's face you know because it's easy sometimes to hide behind the device and not really realizing the consequences that's having on the other end of that yeah, communication. Of course, we had that tragic situation with that young man in Marquette with the, the sexting uh, thing where uh, he was, they, they tried to sextort him and he unfortunately committed suicide. It was a, a terrible tragedy. There have been people now arrested and actually extradited from uh, Africa to here, so they're going to stand trial for that. How do we as parents keep our kids safe from that kind of thing? Uh, I would say just be aware, you know, and, and it's important for people to realize too that, you know, you might you might end up in a bad situation or a jam, you know, on, on social media or somebody's trying to get you to do something. But there's you can always walk it back. There's always an adult to talk to. You can always talk to your parents or uh, a staff member at school. But there's nothing out there that that's so bad that you can't have the conversation. You know, I, I understand the the feeling of like, oh, I couldn't talk to somebody about this. But the reality of it is, yes, you can. You can talk to anybody about any situation, and, and there's assistance out there. How do we impart that it. message to our kids, though? I mean, as adults, we understand. We've had experience. We've been through bad things. We understand that there's another side to it. We get through it. We'll be okay. Kids don't have that depth of knowledge, that depth of experience. How do we get that message through to them when they think the world is ending, that it's not and there are remedies? You know, it really comes down to communication and relationships. Um, that relationship piece is so important, you know, that, that a student or a child could turn to a trusted adult. And, you know, we just have to keep beating the drum and just saying, you know what, somebody's here for you. Yeah, and we as adults have to remember not to be instantly judgmental and not to be punitive necessarily, but to be helpful and be open so that when the kids come to us, they know we're not going to come down on them like a ton of bricks. Correct. You know, my dad's going to kill me if he hears about this. Well, that's not necessarily the relationship that you want. No, correct. We, we want the relationship to be that, you know what, I'm in a tough spot right now and I need your help. And, and for the the kids to understand that we're here to help. We're not here to judge anybody. Talking with Jim Rodiola, he's the superintendent of the Copper Country Intermediate School District. As kids in the Copper Country prepare to head back to class a little bit more than a week from now after Labor Day, what new things are we encountering in our schools? I know you kind of watch over what's coming on from Lansing, what's going on in the school district. Are there new things that we're going to be dealing with this year? Well, you know what, this education budget that was just signed um, a month or so ago uh, was probably the largest education budget that we've ever seen. 
you know, so sustainability, um, that's still up in the air, whether that can be sustained. But, yeah. you know, for the time being, um, they're, they're looking at free breakfasts and lunches for the students, which is a good thing that no students have to go hungry. There's a lot of funding out there uh, for the mental health piece, which I know we had talked about earlier in the program, you know, so there, there's funding out there for schools. Uh, school resource officers, there, there's funding for that. Um, there's new programs out there for becoming teachers and getting your tuition paid for. So there's really a lot of opportunity right now in education that we've never really seen before. You know, so it's, there's some opportunity here for folks that want to get into education and and they can do it without having to um, get into a lot of debt or a debt load. The, the free lunches, I saw the governor, she sent me a press, well, her people sent me a press release the other day, crowing about this, how they're going to have free breakfast, free lunches for all of the kids in school. Will that take place this year? Yeah, it's supposed to take place this year. So typically the way the lunch lunches have worked out, parents could fill out an application and, and if you were if you were below a certain percentage, uh, the, the federal government would kick in uh, to cover the lunch. So from my understanding, we would still ask folks to fill out those applications and that actually helps the schools out in, in more than just the lunchroom because it, it helps out with like title funding for, for at-risk students sure. and, and whatnot. So the applications are always a good thing for parents to fill out even if they feel like they may not qualify. It still helps your school. But from my understanding, what wouldn't be covered by the, the federal government, then the state would foot that bill um, for the schools. So it, it's good for kids. Now, is this money that's actually going to be there and cover the full cost, or is this going to be one of those things where the, uh, and we've talked about this before, where the state says, yep, we're going to pay for this, but they don't quite pay for all of it, and it becomes another bit of a drag, because this part over here they didn't think of, so that's not going to be covered. Are schools really going to be held harmless with this? Well, from what I understand, we're supposed to be, but you know, until the until the money's in your account, there, there's always opportunity for change. So we're we're keeping our fingers crossed at this point. Are we still really short of teachers in this area? We are. Um, the the teaching the educator shortage uh, continues to be a problem. We're definitely getting adults in front of students and and putting folks through programs if they're interested. Um, but this this concern won't be solved overnight. We're, we're looking at a five to ten year um, concern and something that we're going to have to solve, but I feel like we're at least moving in the right direction. There are resources available. Um, if you can get folks interested, I feel like we're starting to build the plane, we're flying it, um, but the reality is the, the workforce I think at this point is probably less than I'll say the retired force. So this is going to continue to be a problem, not only in education, but across other industry as well. I mean, it's, it's very difficult yeah. to find qualified people to fill positions. Yeah. We talk with a lot of businesses and a lot of them are having problems at this point. Um, for teaching positions, are there certain subjects, certain grade levels that are more stressed, more needful than others? Special education, to be a special education teacher has always been an area that's been difficult to fill just because the the burnout rate for a special education teacher tends to be a little bit higher than Those folks than other have a special place in heaven, by the way. Well, you know what? They're tough jobs, but very rewarding. Yes. You know? But I would say um, all positions are needed. Um, elementary teachers, you know, there, there's openings there. Um, math and science continue to be an area where it, it's difficult to... to to find folks that are qualified to do so. So what kind of things are being put into place to help 
prepare new teachers? Uh, uh, and let's let's break this down maybe in, in half. How about young people coming out of school, heading to college? Are they putting together some programs that make that degree a little bit more attractive? Well, obviously the funding piece is, is attractive for some folks. Like if you can get your your college degree paid for so you don't carry a lot of school debt load when you get done, well, that's attractive. But yes. that's not going to necessarily fix the problem. But there are some programs out there right now, like Talent Together is one of them, uh, where the legislator has put some money forward. So we're looking at, at the folks that um, have an associate's degree, a bachelor's degree, and like how can we get you certified quickly. But we're also looking at the folks that are just coming out of school or interested in, in becoming teachers and match them up with a university that, that fits them and the, the discipline that they would like to teach. So, um, you know, as far as the attractiveness piece, um, education is, is one of those things like you either love it or you don't. And it really is a heart position. It's something that you, you have to feel and you want to do because it's not one of those careers that you can just show up and say, you know what, um, I'm going to put my eight hours in today and I'm going to go home. Yeah. Um, because there's it, it, it's ever-changing and and there's a lot of reward that that comes with the job when you're standing in front of a classroom of kids. There's a lot of things that can change, change very rapidly, but you almost have to feel it in, in your blood that hey, I want to do this and, and I want to serve. It is a kids calling in the community. Yep, it, it is a calling to work with kids and to to educate kids. You need to have a certain amount of patience, I would suspect, and you need to have a certain amount of uh, stick to itiveness. I can remember, you know, when I was in junior high school and, and high school, sitting at home, helping my mom correct second grade spelling tests around the table at night. It's a job that you sometimes have to bring home with you. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the biggest thing, too, is you have to be able to connect with people. You, you have to be able to communicate and make that connection and that relationship with individuals. Because if you can't connect with people, it, it doesn't matter your intelligence level. If you can't pass that knowledge along, kids aren't able to, to gain that knowledge through your instruction. And a certain amount of enthusiasm on your part for the subject. Uh, I mean, I could see myself teaching subjects I like, but you put me in front of a math class and we're all going to go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. You definitely can tell the teachers that, that have a passion for their discipline. And those, are, those are the classrooms that the students want to be in. And, and you, you think, man, that hour went by really, really quick. But that instructor was just passionate about what, what they were teaching. Now, suppose there's an older person, someone who's been out of college for a number of years in the workforce, um, thinking about a change and thinking, maybe this uh, would work for me. How does somebody with a college degree, or maybe even without a college degree, get into teaching midlife? You know what? Uh, look for openings, obviously apply for openings, but probably the best thing you can do, if you're interested, uh, talk to any one of our school administrators, you know, just stop in, have a cup of coffee and say, you know, what do you have available? Here's what I have to offer. Do you think there's a pathway for me to, to get into the schools, you know, and there's a lot of openings available right now. So depending on the certification that an individual may have, we probably can find a pathway to make it happen as long as it's a right fit for that calling piece that you talked about a minute ago. Yeah, how do you get that certification? I mean, do you have to take a test? Do you have to, what, what do you do, well, go through? there are certification tests and licensure tests that, that you'll have to um, take in the end, but a lot of it is just college coursework, um, going, taking classes like okay. you, you would to become an engineer or, or any other degree. And then um, once, once you're certifiable, 
um, through your college, then you would have to take a test in, in your discipline area to uh, and pass that at the state level and you'd be certified in whatever area you decided you wanted to pursue. And it's not all about the subject and the teaching, but it's also partly, I would suspect, about classroom management and being able to deal with those kids in a constructive way. Absolutely. You know, and I I think we've talked about this before, but if you can't manage a class, you cannot teach. So a lot of that will come through in in your student teaching area. And, you know, one thing we're starting to see right now, too, which has been a change for education, but apprenticeships. We're starting to see teacher apprenticeships, which are a really good thing that you could work under a mentor teacher for an extended period of time and and really figure out, is this for me? And then have that other coworker um, essentially stand shoulder to shoulder with you to help guide you through. Because it's not for everybody, as you said. And uh, if you get into the classroom, you've gone through all of the work and the rigmarole to get there. And all of a sudden you discover, discover you hate it nobody's nobody has advanced by that yeah you know and you know one suggestion i would make too if you feel like you're interested in learning uh, volunteer or you know being a teacher just volunteer because get into classrooms get in front of kids um and and figure that piece out early because the last thing you want to do is spend a ton of money on a degree and then be like man this this wasn't what i thought it was going to be yeah substitute teachers we still need them we do what are the requirements I think you need 60 credits um, today. It used to be 90, but they've reduced it down to 60. So you need 60 college credits, um, and then you can sign up. Um, The ISD can get you signed up. We we use a system called WillSub right now. It's a substitute teaching system. So if you you come into the ISD, we can get you set up, and then you can determine which schools you want to work in, or you can... You can, you know, rank your schools, let's say A, B, or C, of, of where your, your interests lie and, and who you might want to work for. So Subject matter, too, and grade levels, I assume? You can. Uh, most substitute teachers uh, won't necessarily say, I only want to teach math, I only want to teach English. Most subs will say, you know what, um, here's my certification, and, and obviously we can try to match that piece. But most substitute teachers will, will either take the elementary classrooms or the high school classrooms, and and it doesn't necessarily matter the disciplines. Our career and technical education program, which has grown so much over the past few years, in large part thanks to the millage that was passed by voters to support that. Um, How's that doing this year? It's doing extremely well. I I believe uh, we just got preliminary numbers, and we're over 400 students that are interested in taking a a CTE class um, for this year. And actually, um, Sean Colbus just retired. Um, so Corey Sumas is our new CT director. So, you know, we're very thankful for the community for the support that they've, that they've given these kids. It's amazing the opportunity, the CT opportunities that are out there for the students today that, that weren't here, you know, six, 10 years ago. So, uh, you know, we hope that the community will continue to support that and, and we're starting to see the results. Um, of that investment from the community. Yeah, and, and are we starting to see those kids in the workforce around here now? They're getting jobs as welders and builders and electricians and such, so this is paying off for the kids? Absolutely. You know, and, and, and the thing with a CT class, you know, let's just say you take an auto tech class or a welding class or megatronics, like you may or may not end up in that field. You might you might go on and say, you know what, I want to be an engineer, I want to be a math teacher, but there's definitely in value to taking that class, working with your hands, making those connections, and and getting out of your comfort zone a little bit to do something that you you didn't think that you could do. 
But, you know, back to your question, you know, are, are we seeing students go directly from welding to, you know, work in some of the machine shops and, and engineering shops? Yeah, we are, you know, and, and that's nice to see when a, a student can find their passion, link it in high school, and then go directly to work with that. And they're making some pretty good wages, so it's exciting to, to watch. <laughs> my grandson, my youngest grandson, surprised me when I was downstate to visit him earlier this summer. He had been talking college, and all of a sudden he said, you know, I'm, I'm going to take a welding class in my senior year here. And it was, he was kind of sheepish about it. And I said, no, I pat him on it. Good. He said, my, my friend's dad is a welder, and he makes $48 an hour. And I said, yeah, you can go for this, and you can do really, really well that direction. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, I suppose as we wrap this up here, uh, Jim Rodiola, if there are people who have questions about how school is going to be starting, about where their kids' role is in school, if they have kind of lost touch with the school district, this would be the time, maybe this would be the week, to call your school administrators, the principal, the superintendent's office, and find out what's what. Absolutely. Yep. That you know, Establishing that relationship with the school is, is vitally important. And there, there are folks out there that, that want to help. So just reach out and, and ask for that, that assistance. And, you know, one more plug, too. I mean, we're going to start to see the, the big yellow school buses on the road. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, within the next week, week and a half here. So just caution to the drivers. Watch out for the red flashing lights and the yellow lights. And, you know, some of these younger kids, this is their first time riding a school bus. So it, it's our responsibility as a community to give them a heads up and, and keep everybody safe. Yeah, I don't think there's a road in the Copper Country where you are not required to stop both directions for a school bus. So when you see that happening, make sure that you do that. And that's going to wrap it up for us here, Jim. Good luck and uh, best wishes to all of our educators as we get the school district underway. And thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me.